What's going on, everybody? This is Sean of Ross Like Music. And this is the Super Sunny Love Show. I'm La Molly. This is Blue and Green Radio. Party people, this is Mr. V of Confessions of a Curly Mind, broadcasting through Blue and Green Radio. You're listening to Steve Williams at UK5.org. Welcome to the Blue and Green Sessions. Right, the vibe with DJ Ronnie Ron. Cosmic, Cosmic Radio. Twisted Soul. Futuristica Radio. You're listening to the Blue and Green podcast, and I hope you enjoy what we are going to say. Blueandgreenradio.com. Welcome, friends. You're tuned in to another episode of the Blue in Green podcast. How are you? My name's Imran. Thank you, as always, for your time and company for the show today. Uh, before we jump into the episode, as always, a quick reminder that the Blue in Green podcast runs in conjunction with Blue in Green Radio. You can find us at blueingreenradio.com. You'll find our uh, never-ending 24 hours a day, seven days a week radio stream, which is a, we're an online internet radio station that broadcasts from London. And we host shows from across the whole wide world, including uh, Australia, Japan, France, various parts of the UK, and the, and the States, of course, including Denver, Colorado, uh, San Jose, California, and the as of now, uh, New York City. We have the incredible um, distinction and pleasure and honor uh, of inducting uh, Mr. Jason Charles as a part of our Blue and Green Radio programming, who is our guest on the episode today. Uh, could not be more excited he has such an exciting uh, resume it's it's an enthralling resume of um, radio for many many years to playing out as a live DJ for many many years uh, his uh, experience his knowledge his musical fandom it's just an absolute joy to kind of um, to aid to just to spend time with for the episode that we have today it's a really great episode but also to be able to showcase all of those immeasurable talents as part of our programming is just the absolute best thing in the world so um, we're uh, overjoyed uh, couldn't be more excited sounds of deepness uh, launched is um on mondays it's the second monday of every month uh at 10 p.m uk time which i believe translates to 5 p.m uh new york time uh bar any daylight saving hour changes uh from now till then um but yes um and uh it's going to be a fantastic uh, uh addition to our airwaves um uh, launching on the 8th of May 2023 and as we said the second Monday of every month so a uh, massive thanks uh, to uh, I guess Jason and, our, and my mutual friend uh, DJ Simon S for uh, facilitating this to an extent so massive thanks to him um, and um uh, yes, couldn't be more excited about uh, having Jason Charles and Sounds of Deepness as a part of our programming. Uh, amongst uh, the many achievements and accolades uh, for Jason, there is also the JasonCharles.net, uh, which is an amazing podcast network he set up. And um, it basically houses four channels of just an amazing amount of content from music to lifestyle uh, to the arts and um, a great hub of information, some amazing contributions from some amazing names, including our very own Simon S as well, which is a, uh, an enthralling addition to, uh, to jasoncharles.net. So I uh, would urge you to check uh, out the podcast network as well. 
and you know we couldn't be more excited about uh, serving as a as a minuscule footnote uh, within Jason's amazing career. Uh, amongst many of the things we talk about on the episode today, you know, we talk about um, uh, Jason's fandom, his his collection, his record collecting, which is a lot of fun to discuss. Um, and we talk about yeah, just getting into music. We talk about the podcast network as well, and um, yeah, lots of lots of really really great stuff. So I'll I'll say just one more thing, which is uh, song time. We tend to play a song. Uh, before the episode, um, uh, what we one of the things we discussed is our shared affections, well, our shared adoration uh, for the the incredible Day. So I thought it would be fun to play this one uh, for Jason. Uh, so we're going to play uh, a cover of Paradise. Uh, this is by uh, DJ Center and. Um, uh, vocals by Thelma DeFreitas and uh, it's DJ Center and Sly Fifth Avenue, I should say, from the Push the Fader uh, label. Uh, this is a great cover of the song. Uh, hopefully, Jason's not heard this before, um, but if he has, then I'm sure he'll give it a thumbs up anyway. So, um, following this song, we'll go straight into our conversation. A huge thanks again to Jason Charles um, and Sounds of Deepness. Can't be more excited for you guys to hear the show. And um, yes, to many more. Uh, once again, friends, you can find us at blueingreenradio.com. Thanks very much, gang, and I hope you guys enjoy the show today. Thank you. 
how are you? How are you today? Do you have an exciting week planned? You've had an early start already. Do you tend yes. to have early starts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I'm working with the UK, especially, yes, wow. <laughs> which I like. I like starting early and finishing early, actually. Prefer cool. that. <laughs> yes, we've spoken once before, and we're we're already talking about our kind of locations. You're obviously you're in New York City, a place yes. I am I am steeped in envy, uh, for <laughs> a place I adore, and I am based in London, a place that you adore as well. Yes. And uh, we're going to start the process to trade lives very very soon. And um, <laughs> what's your, your whereabouts in New York are you based? May I ask? I'm uptown Manhattan mm. in, a, in a neighborhood called Inwood, which is at the very top, the, the tip of Manhattan before you get to the Bronx. So just across the right. river from the Bronx on the Harlem River. Um, it's a beautiful area. About half of it is this massive park called Inwood Hill Park wow. uh, that al runs along the Hudson. And because people who know uh, the geography uh, the tip of Manhattan is where the two rivers meet, the Harlem and the Hudson. So that's that's exactly where we are. And it's kind of the last part of Manhattan before you leave the borough. So you can't get any farther north <laughs> than where we are and still be in New York City or in Manhattan, rather. And how long have you been there, may I ask? About uh, 10 years. Uh, I was in the East Village for over 20 uh, most of my life I was in the East Village. And then we um, moved up here about a little over 10 years ago. Uh, just complete uh, random. We were, we were looking to buy something uptown because it, at the time it was more affordable than what you could get downtown. Uh, and we never looked this far up, but at some point somebody showed us where we are now and we fell in love with it because we're literally on a park on the river wow. and still in Manhattan and five minutes from the subway. And so it's amazing. I mean, the location is great and uh, it's easy to get out of the city from here, which is nice because downtown is always, you have to get through the entire borough to get out of New York, which is always a pain in the ass. So it's a lot easier now. <laughs> um and it was hard. It was a big adjustment, yeah. but I, I love it. I love it here. Um, we, we've had one conversation uh, before and we talked about, I think we we're both kind of in an eerily similar situation where we were both a bit more city based and uh, around about 10 years ago, which is the same number for me, I think probably 11, uh, we moved to sort of the outskirts of, of London and I am still adjusting to that as well. I still miss that um that kind of hubbub of city life so to speak so uh yes it is still quite an adjustment uh for me as well yeah. so i completely understand uh what you mean there as well um and you've you spent time in london uh, again we discussed this before but you're you're quite the anglophile i am ever since i was a kid and um in the 90s and 2000s i was in london a lot uh, for for work, for fun, with friends, um, and I just I I mean from I think maybe when I was a kid watching British television because at the time um, my dad lived in Manhattan. My parents were divorced, and um, he had Manhattan Cable, which was like the first cable 
<laughs> we ever had in New York. And that's, and they used to show a lot of British television and, right. you know, seeing the Avengers and <laughs> all these shows and just being like dazzled by the English countryside and the, the life there. And, you know, just as a kid, I just got, I fell in love with it and have ever since I'm still as into the Avengers as I think I was when I was, <laughs> you know, eight years old. <laughs> so, <laughs> And everything, the music, the the style, the music, the sets, the mm. everything about it. It's just uh, that that whole British style of, of design and uh, the film and the fashion and the music, obviously, Laurie Johnson. Um, but basically, that kind of British sensibility really mm. made me an Anglophile from that time. And I'm not English. I don't have English roots, but <laughs> it just stuck with me. Did you become a diehard um, uh, Downton Abbey fan? <laughs> no, my oh, tastes good. don't. I, I did watch it, but my tastes don't run into the sort of like s historical stuffy. Right. Like that's not really my, I like the mod, you know, right. 50s, 60s, 70s, um, 80s even. Uh, British. I mean, I could go so deep. You don't even want to know my British television tastes. <laughs> but um, you know, and I'm always discovering more. That's what's. It's like music. You know, there's just, mm. you can just go, especially as an American, because we didn't yes. get so much of it. So all of a sudden, I'll find out about some series, and I'm like, oh my god, I didn't know anything about this. And and then of course I have to know everything about it and try to see as much of it as I can. And um. And yeah, just it's inspiring the images and and again the music and the sets and the style and the and it's and it's smart. I think unlike American TV, a lot of British stuff doesn't they don't take your intelligence for granted. You know, they sort of <laughs> think that you'll be in on the joke <laughs> or whatever it is, right? And um, and that you'll appreciate the. The, even if it's like a British spy film or something, mm. you know, they, they mm. tend to be more smart and, and you have to be, you know, pretty, pretty intelligent to, <laughs> to grasp everything and, and get what they're doing, especially if you're looking at it with that kind of eye, sure. you know, critical sure. eye. Where it's funny that I'm, I'm again, very much as you are, but I think it us comedy is kind of, was always the the sort of the linchpin for me and it, it was sort of very specifically in terms of comedy as well I always sort of resonated uh with it significantly more um than sort of the UK stuff there's lots of UK stuff um that I you know grew up with and besotted with and still means a lot to me but uh, I think that that kind of US depiction of um uh, well I think the, the the earliest memory of sort of that kind of US comedy and sitcoms I grew up with was sort of like Saved by the Bell and like 90210 and I just thought when I started like a uh, high school I was like oh wow you know it would just be constant dates and <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. that kind of lifestyle of oh my god I probably have a date in my first week and that's not really what reality was over here. <laughs> right but Zach Morris kind of gave me the wrong impression <laughs> right <laughs> I was going to say comedy is a different thing I mean I think mm. obviously I'm obsessed with American uh, comedy going back to the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and um, because 
when it comes to straight up comedy, that's a totally different thing, the British and the American thing. And while I appreciate Monty Python and all of that, I never went so deep into mm-hmm. that. Yeah. You know, that was, um, I get it and I, I appreciate it. Um, and I've certainly watched a lot of it, but I, the comedy stuff definitely, it's Richard Pryor, it's, uh, you know, Red yeah. Fox and, and wow. really Americans <laughs> that, that lead the pack for me. But, uh, and again, I could talk forever about just American you know, TV and comedy mm. <laughs> going back. So, and I won't, but I <laughs> we will have to do that for an episode. <laughs> That's another, sometime. yeah, another show for another time. <laughs> but well, as regards to music, kind of what was your, if we kind of go back to sort of those sort of informative years for yourself, I mean, what was your, you know, kind of early exposure? What kind of set you on a, on a path to kind of the music that you're, you know, currently you know, means, means so much to you now. I mean, you embrace so much funk and soul and uh, breakbeats and grooves and, and stuff like that. What was your introduction to that kind of, that style of music? I think um, I was raised on jazz from an early age. It was always music playing. It was a lot of vocal jazz and, you know, Sinatra and um, Basie and every everything like a real jazz because my, my, Mom is plays the piano. My dad was a drummer. My stepfather was a um, a lawyer uh, in the entertainment industry in oh, the fifties wow. and sixties, and he uh, worked for a company called Shaw Artists, and they were a booking agency, and they booked mostly African American um, non musicians, and then a lot of musicians, a lot of early R and B artists. And he was a lawyer for uh, Billy Holiday and um, a lot of, he really worked with so many interesting people. And he and my mom shared that love of jazz and music mm. and um, they both played piano and, um, and knew a lot of musicians too, like older musicians. So just growing up, there was always... Um, jazz playing in the house and so I think I just got an education from always being around it and then uh, growing up in the uh, 80s obviously I found my own music and um, I remember going to uh, when I was in London for the first time uh, visiting friends with the family well not the first time I was there as a child like Mm. I was like five or something with my family but when I was like 14 maybe we went and stayed with a family, uh, friends of ours, and they had a bunch of daughters. And so they all had cool music, you know, and I'd never heard of it before. And one of them had Sade oh, and wow. she had a cassette. And I was like, who's Sadie? You know, I had no <laughs> idea. And she played it for me. I swear it was like, oh, blew my mind. Oh, wow. You know, I was like, what the, what is this? You know, just like completely. And I'm still to this day, like a diehard oh, wow. fan. Um, and so I think also just, you know, from all the eighties music, I, I started to expand and find my own also in high school, like, you know, Fleetwood Mac and Grateful Dead and Jethro Tull and all that stuff was really big when I was in high school, a lot of in the eighties, for some reason, that stuff, Allman Brothers and all like just the basic rock and roll. And I have an older brother so when he was in high school, he had all like sticks and Aerosmith and, and all that 
Led Zeppelin records and right. the Stones. And so, you know, I just kept getting different educations along the way. And I think soul and funk, I sort of came to myself. Like, I think the first time I heard a Parliament record, wow. I was like sold. I was just like, all right, I need to go down this lane and find everything I possibly can. And so I just sort of, I think that that I sort of found on my own from everything I had already discovered and been into. And also growing up as a kid, I was hearing disco everywhere, and obviously. Um, and my mother is, is Italian, and we used to spend summers in Italy when I was a kid. And in Europe, as a kid, I would hear, like, we would be there for like three, four months at a time. And so I would hear a lot of stuff that I wouldn't hear in the States. So I remember as a kid hearing Donna Summer, Try Me. Right. And I was just like, wow, you know, like this is like dazzling music, you know. And even the little town where our place was, there was a discotheque and it was like super 70s. And my mom would go at night and, you know hang out with her friends there. And, and sometimes I would hear some of the music that was coming out of there. And, you know, so I think that's sort of where the disco soul funk thing came mm. from. Maybe, I don't know. I never thought about that before, but now that I think about it, I was exposed to some of that earlier, but that's kind of where I went for a long time was just like anything soul funk was what I was really into. Mm. Even though I always had other interests, but yeah, I think that's sort of where it started. That's amazing. I think shamefully George Clinton and Parliament of Funkadelic, probably the biggest like black mark for me in terms of I've never really delved fully into the to the catalogs. I think I'm probably too intimidated by the amount that there is. But it's like where do you start? You know, Maggot Brain's probably oh, where right. I should start. But um That's I mean the there's best. yeah, is 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 that what you'd you'd recommend? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, when cool. you start getting into their, you know, funk and telecky and uh, you know like mm. mid seventies stuff gets so out there. And yeah. granted every record has some really cool stuff on it. Mm. But um you know, Maggot Brain is just incredible. It still holds up and it's just obviously a sort of a cornerstone of, of funk. But yeah, um, yeah it's, and I, I know what you mean. Some artists, I just think like, where do I begin? You know, yeah. like it's like a brass construction. You know, I maybe have right. one record and I love right. them and I love when somebody like exposes me to a great brass construction record mm. but i'm like where do i start one two three four and they have so many <laughs> records I know. i'm like tempted to start and then i think well this is i just need someone to be like this is what you need yeah <laughs> get it's these three and you're done <laughs> when you're kind of going backwards into like an artist's career sometimes you can appreciate the fact that they were very sparing with their releases because it makes scooping them up very you know considerably easier than having to go right this person released an album a year for 10 years so where do we go right. now so right. it can be crazy intimidating but on on that note is there a favorite Sade record out of interest uh it was always stronger than pride oh wow okay. uh, for years i think that was probably my favorite but i think now i wouldn't really know which one to pick because i I did sort of, I wouldn't say I checked out, but after 
Lovers Rock. I was a little disappointed because right. I felt like things started to just be the same. You know, everything was sort of the same tempo, and there they weren't there. The, the, there wasn't so much diversity on the records that I was so used to, right. and um, so after that, those records. There's some good stuff on it. I still, I'll, I'll ride with them forever, but mm. I'm still waiting for that next great record from them right. because I feel like the last two or three are are okay, but I don't, you know, love yeah. them. And I, but um, Stronger Than Pride was always my favorite because of things like Turn My Back on You was just like deep, you know, seriously deep funk. And mm. um, while, uh, but of course, Promise is beautiful, just an incredible record. Right. And the first one I always go back to um, because there's like B-sides that I love with the, I mean, I'm like a serious Sade fan, so stop me anytime. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> I love it. Go ahead. Um, um, <laughs> there are some, you know, I, I have tons, I have all the 45s I can get my hands oh, amazing. on. Amazing. Because, because the B-sides are not available on the records. So if you want to get everything you got to start getting all the 45s and there's some really cool stuff they do um on b-sides that they don't do on the record some cool instrumentals and um, more jazz funk stuff um in the first record uh the b-side of smooth operator is a song called spirit i don't know if you know that but that's no i've not heard that oh it's incredible some the original smooth operator 45 Oh, and it's like a six, five, six minute track. Really cool. And I don't know why it didn't end up on Diamond Life, but uh, it's amazing. And there's a couple other tracks that were not on the record. And well, plus that first record, there was like a UK edition and a US edition. Yes, that's you right. had different yeah. stuff than we did. And, um, but yeah, I would say Stronger Than Pride only because it's the most, it has a lot of different stuff going on. You know, there's... Hmm different styles it goes up and it goes down and it you know takes you on more of a journey where um the others are collections of great stuff but i feel like strong their pride is just so solid and Hmm. from the beginning to the end Um, amazing but uh but promise is amazing too it's absolutely beautiful uh so yeah it's it's hard to pick but i would i guess i would still say stronger than pride only because uh, Turn My Back on You is probably one of my favorite tracks of all time. So wow. it's up there. <laughs> I've not heard any mention of Love Deluxe yet, though. I'm very uh, Love Deluxe. I, lo- I, I, I do <laughs> like Love Deluxe, um, but I think that's where they started to do a lot of, you know, half the record is songs that are very similar. Right. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. Similar tempo, similar vibe um so yeah it is a it's a great record too and of course i i have i love the vinyl is beautiful and it's a great it is a great record too um and and the best of sade has that uh cover on it yeah there's um oh gosh uh still love you isn't it it's um heaven please send me someone to love Oh yes, there's a the the um the still in love with you song is on the is that on the best of Sade or is that on the? I don't know what that one is. Um, it's it's like a it's more acoustic guitar led. I've gone blank as to sort of where it's from and 
Who is that? What's it? It's not Thin Lizzy, is it? Hang on. Shouldn't have said that out loud. I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to Google this while talking. But um, No, I don't know that one, actually. Oh, my gosh. Have I stumped you? This is awesome. I think you have. <laughs> you stumped the Sade fan. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I can't it. wait to hear it. <laughs> It's uh, Sade, it's, uh, it's it, I, I have it, so I know it exists. It's uh, Slid in Love With You. I'm trying to find who the cover was. Is It's on the compilation, I know. Not that. the Al Green song. No, it's Thin Lizzy. It is Thin Lizzy. Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, the Ultimate Collection. It's on, yes, it's oh, on that one. Oh, I got to listen to that. I, it's a beautiful I... song, yeah. Wow. Yes, Do you know awesome. the Thin Lizzy... Um... Thin Lizzy, th- uh, Thin Lizzy Half Cast. Do you know that track? No. That's a B-side. For years I was coveting this 45 because it's really expensive. Right. And it has this B-side called Half Cast, which right. is just incredible. You got to check it out. It's kind of like oh, a awesome. reggae, yeah. reggae-ish. I mean, you wouldn't know it was Thin Lizzy. It's an outrageous oh, wow, cool. track. Yeah. Yeah, I just got that last year, I guess. Finally, I was like, I need this <laughs> in my life. <laughs> Do you have quite an extensive collection? Pretty, of yeah. Of just records in general, good. yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, considering the size of our apartment, it's probably too big for the space. <laughs> but <laughs> but yes, uh, I mean, not compared to, I know people who have sure. quadruple what I have. But no, I yeah. probably have a couple thousand Wow. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. 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 And so what, what motivates that? If I may ask it, it, what is that in terms of that spending too much? And, and it, it's, is it, the, is it like a, uh, that kind of collector in you or is it what, what, yeah. What's your kind of motivation by that? Cause I'm kind of fascinated by that aspect of, of collecting where we, <laughs> we spend yeah. more than we should. And, uh, you know, I, I, I meet a lot of people who are surprised I buy physical copies of anything, you know, it's kind of like, why, why would anyone do that? Why, why would anyone do that? But yeah, I'm, so I'm always uh, enthralled by uh, someone who, yeah, who's, who's as enamored. Uh, so yeah, what would, how would you define your motivations to keep purchasing? I guess I'm just always discovering and it's like a never ending you know, I have lists of of records on Discogs in my, I have a cart that's like a mile long, you know, wow. things I don't necessarily buy, but that I want. <laughs> and that I, just to remind myself if I ever see it somewhere and, you know, I know I'm, I want it. Um, but yeah, I'm always just discovering and, um, and I love record shopping, probably one of my mm. favorite things to do in the world. So whether it's, uh, I mean, it's, over the pandemic, obviously, it became more yeah. online. Um, and yeah, and it was during the pandemic, actually, I, because we were getting, as a self-employed person, you're not really entitled to unemployment in this country, but right. during um, during the pandemic lockdown years, um, you were. So that was really nice <laughs> for me. And I was actually using some of it to invest in like bettering my collection, like replacing bad copies of things, getting things I always wanted. So I invested like a good considerable amount of that, of money that I got into Mm. my collection, just making it better, adding to it. And again, sort of replacing bad copies of things that I always wanted. 
right. a better copy of or something. And um, yeah, and that went on for like a year or two until I finally was like, okay, I've spent like this money, thousands of dollars, I have to stop. <laughs> and I mean, not that much, but um, yeah. And um, yeah, when it comes to like expensive records, I sort of put them in a, a certain list either in my head or on discogs or whatever. And, and when the time comes or if I see a better, a good price, or maybe I'll see it in a shop somewhere and it's a mm. good price or something, then I'll, I'll, I'll break down and get it. Um, you know, cause I don't immediately buy like, and, and I know there's thousand dollar records out there, but yeah, even like a, a 40, $50 record is a lot, you know, for yes, one definitely. record, especially if it's a 45, then you're mm. like, okay, do I do this? You know, but sometimes if it's something like I just picked up a, a Bobby Bloom 45, uh, oh. that was, it's rare. It's super rare. And I thought, all right. And, and there was, it's so rare that there's not even a way to listen to it. Like online, there is no oh, wow, okay. audio of it. So I just took a chance. I was like, okay, I believe <laughs> I know this is going to be worth it. So I, and it was a good price. Like I made an offer. It was, a, you know, maybe it was like 40 bucks, which is a lot for a 45. Yeah. But it came and I played it and I was like, oh my God, I'm so glad I paid. For this is amazing. And, and, and I couldn't listen to it. And I even, you know, I really looked everywhere to try and have a listen so I could see whether I really wanted it. Mm. But there was no, it just didn't exist. It's so rare. It doesn't really, and, and there's not that much interest in him. I guess there's enough to make the price high, but not yeah. enough to uh, have like a rare track like that. Somebody, nobody put it on YouTube. Nobody has it on a, on a uh, site. Nobody. So yeah, I just took a chance on that one and I'm glad I did if you had heard it and not liked it would the compulsion have won out and you still would have bought it for the rarity or no i wouldn't buy it no if i didn't like the music i wouldn't buy it no oh very disciplined that's very good yeah no i wouldn't buy it just to have the Mm. if if it's not good or if it's if i don't like it then no i don't i don't need it um but if it's great and i can maybe play it for people who would appreciate it then it's worth it right but if it's just like something rare that's out there, but I don't really like it, then yeah, no, I wouldn't. Definitely not. Okay, very good. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So at what point does kind of DJing start to factor in for you? Uh, from growing up, from becoming a fan, sorry, I should say. From becoming a fan, you're becoming more and more enamored with music. So at what point does kind of, yeah, it's kind of playing out and stuff like that become your um, passion? Uh, well, at university i had a radio show from the very you know first week i was there because i i was like interning right away at the radio station and i got a show because the guy i was interning with happened to be like the program director i was like working on his show and so he gave me like a you know horrible like 4 a.m (laughs) <laughs> whatever you know at the time but you know i was a freshman in college and and it was yeah. a cool um station because it was also a community station so even though it was on the campus it was actually a community radio station right. so it was like a real you had to learn like real radio and regulations and you know writing out the the playlists and the tracks and the info for to submit um and you know if 
just the whole the guidelines and the FCC and playing uh, carts, which were like PSAs and mm. announcements and, and things like that. And so uh, it was great. It was also free form, so I could play whatever I wanted. And they had their own library there. So, of course, I had my own records also, but they also had a library at the station. Of course, super beat up, like everything was in pretty <laughs> bad shape. But uh, but I learned, I definitely discovered stuff there. Mm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I started DJing on the air there. And then, so sort of after college, I guess I was um, just playing or I would end up, playing in little bars and clubs and stuff like that. Um, so that's sort of how I got into that. Do you remember the first time you played out? Were you, were you nervous? Were you very confident? <laughs> I think it's because it sort of started as, you know, a community of people who were into it. And it was like started with like smaller gatherings of friends and people mm. who were also into DJing and records and it just sort of grew from that so I didn't have any um hesitation or no I was I was used to it by that I always had two turntables you know so I was like used to it I, I mm. and and playing on the radio and having two turntables always you know the whole Serato thing later on changed right. things a bit but um you know back then obviously it was all turntables and I always had to, so I always DJ'd, even at home, right. <laughs> you know. Mm. So, so no, I wasn't nervous. I, I think I just, um, no, I always loved it. And I worked in uh, the music industry, so I used to get a lot of vinyl from right. from people I would trade with, and just from working at a label, you know, I would work, work with other la people at other labels that I would be like, oh, can you send me the whatever 12 inch and I'll send you a bunch of CDs and you know, <laughs> we would like trade all the time. And back when the music industry had like tons of money and we were like FedExing <laughs> yeah. records to each other and <laughs> shameful, shameful behavior. But it was great for people like me because, you know, we would just like get so much great music and, and a lot of that I still have, which is really cool. Mm. Stuff that I wouldn't have bought or been able to afford on a record label income salary you know yeah. so i got a lot of great music which a lot of it i still have amazing yeah how would you kind of uh, summarize the kind of experience of like radio to playing out how did they kind of differ for each other what what you know what what do you get out of one that more than the other say um i don't know well for me i i guess especially the last few years you know, I haven't been in a radio studio doing the mix. So it's more sort of, you have more time to prepare the mix. When you go to a studio with your records, it's kind of like, bam, you know, you just get started, you go. Um, a few years ago, I went to, a, I was a guest on a, a soundtrack show. And I did like an all disco funk soundtrack set. And it right. was an hour and it was like a three ring circus. Like it was just so fast. It was like, you know, it was like over before it started. It was so quick. And they, you know, there were, they had three turntables in this studio and, um, and there was like a short interview. So it was just like, you know, running a marathon basically of like mm -hmm. 
getting the tracks. I mean, of course I had it in, I brought what I wanted to play, but, um, but actually playing it was like a whole, that was like a sport, you know, whereas when I'm making a mix, I have more time to, to think about it and to, you know, put the tracks together, sequence them yeah. how I want them. It's not so fast or, and even when I play at a bar or something, it's like, or a little club, you know, you're, sometimes it doesn't work out the way you think it's going mm-hmm. to and, and things happen and maybe something's on the wrong speed and then you, you know, whatever, like things come right. up as you probably know. And, um, it's, it's more fluid and, and then you change your mind. Sometimes I change my mind. I have something queued up and then I'm like, I have like, see how much time I have left on the record. Just maybe put something else on instead. Mm-hmm. Like something else just strike me and I'll be like, no, I think I want to play this. And then you realize you don't have the time or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. It was funny. The last time I played, I I brought this uh, Brothers Johnson record, and I I was uh, there was something going on with like the this they were fixing something like a technical issue while I, right after I started, and so I put on the wrong Brothers Johnson track, and I was like, oh, you know, like, and it wasn't a terrible track, but it's certainly not one I wanted to play. Right. So I was like. No, please, really. I didn't choose this. <laughs> this isn't what I wanted to play. It wasn't bad. It wasn't the worst Brothers Johnson track, but it's certainly not one I would have chosen to play out. So, yeah, was those there things an obvious happened. response? No, nobody noticed. It was fine. Okay. I mean, I don't think anybody really noticed that Mr. Cool is what I really wanted to play. <laughs> it would have been better. <laughs> That's okay. It was in my head. <laughs> I guess when you're playing out, so much of it is is improvised, isn't it? With radio, I suppose you have you you can plan everything uh, to you know to, to to very specific timings and 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 the sequence and everything can make sense and then you can go and do it and it can be exactly as you imagined it but i suppose when you play out you can't go into it with that level of meticulousness because you don't know how people are going to respond right if you're like well okay right. people aren't responding to this at all we need to i got to completely change this and and respond to the vibe of the you know the people there totally yeah that's a, yeah you're right when you when you're playing out there's that component of reading the room and knowing like all right people are digging this whatever reggae style set i'm doing let me stick with this for a while or or this isn't working or people aren't responding to this as much i need to change gears whereas you don't do that when you're doing a radio set because it is more planned out and Mm. um yeah so i usually have like several options when I'm out to say like, all right, I think I need to, this crowd seems more into the, like, uh, maybe older stuff or more faster or whatever, you know, you just read the room. Um, and, and it's the same thing as a listener. When I go out to hear someone, um, if they're not reading the room, you really notice it. If they're just doing their thing Mm. from start to finish, it, there can be weak spots or there can be, you know, you got to include the, you got to really read the room and know yeah. how people are responding. And, that, and it makes it just makes it better, you know, it makes it better mm-hmm. when people are vibing and and feeling it. Cause if you're just on your own trip, then yeah. you don't know when, you know, people can drop off or, yeah. um, 
and then again, a lot of it can be in your head. You know, you don't know. You think like, oh, people aren't into this, but maybe they are, you know? <laughs> so it's hard. You just have to read the room, which is, yeah, that, that is a component that's totally different from radio or when you're making a mix or you're presenting a mix on a radio show, then yeah, you don't have to worry about that as much. Yeah. What is like a, a New York kind of, what is it like playing to like the funk and soul scene out there? I imagine there are some incredible enthusiasts and the crowds must be fantastic, right? Oh yeah. I mean, there's so much, it's an incredibly vibrant scene and, um, uh, I'm lucky because I, I don't play out a lot. And, and if I do, it's usually sort of real music nerd, DJs, you know, insidery kind of group of people who, who right. appreciate, you know, the music and digging and, um, you know, and they'll, they'll want to know what it is and they're, they're more active and it's not going to be like, can you play some you know, whatever bad bunny or like, I'm not going to get a request for, you know, it's not, I would never, I don't play in those kinds of places where sure. some drunk girls are going to come up and want bad bunny or whatever. Or, <laughs> so, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't deal with that at all. Right. But, um, no, there is such an incredible scene and, um, you know, unfortunately uh, most of it and the best of it is in Brooklyn and mm-hmm. which is far from where I am and then not so easy to get to and, or, desirable to get to it one in the morning on a Thursday or Friday or Saturday or, sure. uh, or even during the week or whatever. Cause it generally the later, the better. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, there's so much and there's so many, there's so much incredible talent. And um, what's nice about this particular scene though, of like record people and the record store people and the, the, working DJs and people who play every week at a lounge or a bar or whatever, you know, it's, it's all, it's nice because it's a lot of different ages and um, a lot of younger people who are collecting the vinyl and playing out and playing soul and funk and playing um, a lot of, a lot inspired a lot by the, the loft and paradise garage style mm-hmm. of like really appreciating the music, playing the track completely not necessarily like a fully mixed show, you know, or, or mm. set, but rather uh, playing the song almost completely to beginning to the end, which is like a real David Mancuso kind of thing. Um, and I feel like that is a huge influence on, on this scene now. Uh, right. From what I, especially the soul funk disco house kind of scene. Um and and those are the kinds of things that I like anyway. Like I mm. wouldn't go to a, you know, mega club and, right. uh, or, you know, and techno wasn't really my scene. Um, I know I've been exposed to a lot of it back in the nineties and I, I appreciate it, but like, that's not really my scene either. That's a whole nother scene, but, mm. uh, but yeah, the like so more, soul funk house thing it's it's incredible there's so yeah. much but again it's it's usually pretty late and it's usually in brooklyn <laughs> so if you yes. don't live in brooklyn it's not as easy to be around it as much yeah. as you want to yeah it I mean, adds an la- extra layer of uh und- geographically undesirable 
you know, <laughs> for going out and, and it's expensive and you got to take an Uber or whatever. I mean, it's just the whole thing has to be yeah. right, you know. And yes. Yeah. Because so, I have friends who live in Brooklyn who are you know out almost every night, not every night, but they go, it's easy for them because there's so much to choose from and there's so many places to go and hear. And that scene is, again, super vibrant. Mm. Yeah, it would be amazing. Yeah, so many amazing bands emanate from, well, I guess from Brooklyn as well, specifically, which is a, a an incredible hub, uh, I think, for that for that kind of that scene. Amazing to have kind yeah. of be in, in amidst it was must be a yeah really incredible sort of experience, and to see so many bands come through, yeah, really. And, and I think the record store thing too has also right. encouraged a lot of that. And most of that has also moved out to Brooklyn. So um, there aren't as many record stores in Manhattan anymore, uh, downtown. Mm-hmm. There's a few left um, and, you know, some stalwarts, some go way back. But uh, for the most part, that scene has moved out to Brooklyn and that's kind of where a lot of these nights, these kind of club nights and DJ nights and bars that play vinyl, you know, that's kind of where that all starts from is mm. like the record store people, right? the shoppers, yeah. the employees, the owners, the, yeah, just the, the regular people that go there. It's kind of created its, its own scene. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. Um, I also, of course, wanted to uh, discuss with you uh, JasonCharles.net. Um, it's such an exciting kind of culmination of, I suppose, everything that you've been doing in your, you know, tenured career uh, within, within you know, radio, within Play Now. And, and uh, you know, as you said, working for record labels and stuff like that um, within the industry. I mean, how would you surmise uh, JasonCharles.net? Uh, it's a music and arts podcast network, and our tagline is Deep Talk, Deep Sounds. And that's kind of what I go for with everything we have. We have uh, four channels, and there's talk shows, there's music shows, which is mostly DJ mixes and uh, series based on DJ mixes and mm-hmm. music talk and uh, arts and culture and something called audio dramas. That's the fourth channel. And overall we have about 22, almost two dozen uh, original series. Amazing. And yeah, it does. It did bring together kind of all of the things I've done in the past. It's sort of why it, where it came from because I was a freelancer as a you know, radio editor, producer uh, for a long time. And then the work started to dry up, dry up. And I thought, well, you know, what can I do? Should I, I could, you know, it's, it's getting more difficult to get the work. So I started to, I originally started to just put together a, a basically a website that was more of a resume kind of thing. And I was work, but I wanted it to be very dynamic and have a graphic component. So I was working with a designer and we were working on that. And then one t- one day, about a, six months into it, I just had this idea of 
doing my own network of programming. And I realized I have all these interesting people from my past that like to do this kind of work and um, are creative and dedicated. And I thought I can do this myself. So I scrapped everything we were working on (laughs) for for this like (laughs) resume thing, CV page. And I said, you know, scrap it all, throw it all out here's what I want to do. And I came up with the color coordinated channels and came up with the visual imagery. And uh, yeah, that's how it all started. And that was uh, four and a half years ago. Wow. I said this, I think when we last spoke that I, I really love the kind of the visual uh, look of, of, of the whole thing, everything about it. Um, it's so, it's such a great looking kind of a design uh, and aesthetic for the the site just sort of going on there it really makes you want to explore it and uh, obviously when you do you just yeah there's so much great content on there you've got some so much uh, uh amazing contributors so many amazing contributors yeah you must be so proud of kind of when you kind of just take that time to look at what it is and the amount of uh you know awesome shows and and audiences that it caters for it's incredible yes thank you very much for saying that i i do i am I'm really proud of everything and it's, it's grown beyond what I ever could have imagined. It is a difficult, uh, business to be in. It's very difficult to make money, uh, to make enough money to pay people. And it's, it's not an easy, an easy thing. As you know, you do your own network, so it's, it's difficult, but, um, but I know I, I just keep going and I, I believe in it and I am proud of it. And it's it's uh, super fun and, and creative and the feedback is amazing and the, the people are, are so great. Yeah. And it's nice because a lot of the shows I started with sort of led to other other series. Um, you know, someone would say, Oh, they love what I'm doing and they would love to do something for you. And then that would develop into a series. And then I would develop a relationship with this person who has a whole nother, you know, history and life that's fascinating and that I I love. And, And what's nice is they get from what I do, they get how they can do something creative that has meaning that they believe in, that they care about, and they don't care that they're not getting paid a lot of money for. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's nice. That's really nice. Um, and I learn from them too. So it's great. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it would be nice to have uh, some venture capitalist come along and <laughs> say, here's half a million dollars yeah. and go take it and <laughs> run and, and make a weekly, do weekly episodes for everything yeah. and hire staff. And, you know, that would be the dream. Yeah. So we'll see. So far, you know, what, what already happened is a dream. So hopefully it'll just keep going. Yeah. I mean, as you <laughs> say, growing. the passion for it has to be the driving force, as you say. And you're, you're absolutely right. That is the, the, the uh, a very similar theme dream that I've uh, experienced a few times. Uh, so, it, but as you say, yeah, it's you, you have to love what you're doing. You have to love what you're what the content is. You've got to love the music or whatever it is that that person's putting out. And that's always, uh, that's the win, you know, as long as you're doing kind of what you love. I think that's the, that's the biggest win you could get. Yeah. And, and I also feel like everything we do is pretty timeless. You know, there's, there's are a few things that because of the pandemic, 
uh, certain talk shows and, and arts shows that may have an element of that in it, which will obviously date it. But mm-hmm. overall, I, I, I love creating like timeless content that someone can listen to now and love and not even if they see that it's from 2021, they're not going to feel like it's stale or old. Like everything is timeless. Everything really still is vibrant and interesting and doesn't just stop because it's not newsworthy or time sensitive or, you know, so I, I try to try to do that with everything too. have everything be timeless. And, uh, the music shows for sure will always hold up because they're just great talent, DJ talent. And, um, and also, you know, with the music shows kind of what, what you do too is, is honoring sort of the art of the DJ, which a lot of people don't get, you know, and allowing DJs to be more creative and more come up with a concept or, or whatever it is, you know, they, they do like to stretch and do different things. Yeah. And not everybody understands that they're artists and yes. how they, what they do and how they do it yeah. and what it yeah. involves. You know, the collecting is one component that, that every DJ can talk about. That's just one small part of it is like how you collect and when and why and everything. Yeah. And then sort of what you're into and how things change. And so, yeah, it's all... Uh, the the idea is, is is timelessness too. Yeah, that's a that's a perfect summation. Um, and as my final point, um, we we get the uh, blue and green radio has the uh, incredible uh, benefit of of your your knowledge, your experience, your mastery, your skill uh, with the launch of uh, Sounds of Deepness, which is a great extension to everything that you've done thus far. It's a great extension to uh, jasoncharles.net as well, where I mean, we couldn't be more excited to, to start featuring uh, shows on the radio station uh, with your indelible touch and vision. And uh, we, yeah, we're very, very excited about it. So um yeah long long may that uh kind of union continue as well so i'm very excited about it dudes oh same here i'm i'm honored to be involved and and to do something for what what you do because again like you know your talent is incredible everyone you have is so cool in their own way and and they love what they're doing obviously and that you can tell just from listening to it and um yeah no i'm honored to be in their company <laughs> so yeah i can't wonderful. wait awesome brilliant and i'm excited uh, to create sort of trips you know take people on a trip yes that's <laughs> that's right when stuff. we talked about the idea of narratives for radio shows didn't we and that 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 being it so it's and that's exactly what i, I can't wait to experience with your show uh you know to go on that journey so it's yeah it's really exciting yeah i'm i'm looking forward to it and and it'll be it's just fun also to to keep flexing that muscle you know because because i don't play out that much you know or do that much of it so yeah it's it's great to keep that that going and to to be creative and you know i like to sort of take slow take it in take somebody in slowly and then build it up and then you know let them take Mm. a nice soft landing and <laughs> and there's different things in between and mm. yeah so I, I love it so i'm, I'm very perfect. excited too i can't wait 